One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the 90th Minute, and welcome to a fantastic interview here. I am Liam. Got Brett Waz, and the good friend of the channel, Mr. Brendan Dunlop, is here once again. Welcome back to the channel, Brendan. What's up, boys? It's nice to see you. Liam, I feel like every time I've been on the chat, you've been working, man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Last few times I've spoken with these guys, you know, I did a whole hour with Brett. Where's Liam? Working. Yeah. It's it's been a a struggle the past, I'm going to say, six months or so since the Euros have ended, but... uh, Hopefully now things move into the winter. Hopefully now be able to be on the channel a bit more. But uh, I'm glad I you told the boss. Interview. You're like, look, Canada's playing there in Edmonton. I, this is the I biggest heard. game of my life. I, I need the week that. off. I pretty much I said, listen, I'm booking days off. This is happening. You're not going to question it. Figure it out. That's what I said. But um, I mean, you you touched on. I mean, Canada. I mean, that's why Brendan Dunlop is here. Uh, his Canadian football knowledge. If you don't know who he is, the Canadian sports scene, the Canadian football scene was Brendan Dunlop for, for our childhood at least. Yes, absolutely. And uh, he continues to play such a pivotal role um, in the North American football scene. And, and and you see he's got his Aston Villa kit on. We will talk about them later on. <laughs> we will talk about TFC even potentially, some MLS news. We'll get into that. Um, Brett, Team Canada, you are beyond hype. Oh, I am so happy. Beyond and, hype. And a uh, buddy of uh, yours, Craig Forrest, tweeted uh, yesterday that uh, he sees Edmonton as not only the home for the Canadian men's national team, but for the Canadian women's national team as well. I thought that was such a, like, kind of took me back a little bit because it yeah. kind of it makes me a little it bit emotional. It doesn't get put on the map very yeah. often. And when it does, I mean, I think it always seems to do itself proud. Maybe if you could speak to the importance of, like, just these next two matches not being here in the north. Like, like this is the north, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, you know, a proper Canadian kind of feel, right? Uh, on mm-hmm. turf, uh, in the cold. Uh, the Mexico game forecast makes it seem like the Mexico game is going to be the worst one. Um, obviously, Costa Rica have a lot of experience playing on turf, but, you know, they didn't have um, time to acclimatize in Edmonton. The the uh, mm-hmm. Canadian government seemed to delay their visa application, and they've only been allowed one training session at, at Commonwealth. So I think they would have preferred to have had a few days to run for coffees in the cold and, you know, just kind of settle into the hotel uh, at the Edmonton suites or wherever it is they're staying and, and get used <laughs> to the situation. But to go back to Craig's tweet, um, and we were talking about this on, on the last footy prime podcast as well. He says that those games in Edmonton, you know, it, it really felt like the whole country was behind you and as much of the country as possible would be in Commonwealth. And then that was just a feeling that didn't rep. They weren't able to replicate it in other places. And when they had these big games in Montreal and they had these big games in Toronto, you know, the visiting support was massive because it was accessible. And especially, you know, talk about pre-COVID, they put these games in Montreal against Honduras, a big World Cup qualifying game, and it's 80% blue. And the, the sponsorship at the time was was the, the 
the blue bank and they're giving out blue thunder sticks. It looked like they were playing an away game, right? And they, they never had that feeling in Edmonton. In Edmonton, it was just this this love that came out and it didn't matter what run they were on. It didn't matter, you know, what players were in the team. The support was always there. The turnout was always there. So I think he's it's brought back a bit of nostalgia, which we all appreciate the older we get. And and to uh, he's, he's sad that he can't be there to work or, or to be there in Edmonton to see the game as a fan, but he's very happy that Alfonso Davies and this young crop can have that experience that they love so much when they were playing. Uh, I was going to say, uh, there was a lot of doubt that Edmonton was even going to get a World Cup qualifying game. I was always speaking to my friend, like, oh, maybe Edmonton's going to get a game. He's like, no, we'll never get a game. They'll never put it here. There's the turf, Commonwealth. There's this issue. There's that issue. And it finally came, they finally decided, hey, let's put in Edmonton. And now they're, it's proving how much support Edmontonians and the rest of Canada give, give us. Well, I think, I think when, when Edmonton hosted the Women's World Cup all those years ago, the support was actually really, really well. I mean, I went to a, a handful of matches, and I mean, I think you're always not going to get the numbers for the Canadian, for the the women's side of the game as you get for the men's. But you know, the numbers were decent. I mean, that first Canada game was a sold out crowd at Commonwealth. That's the rounds that's went massive. on. The rounds went on. Yeah. They keep breaking. Like, there was, there was, there was good. There was good support for the women's World Cup, and now that Canada's here, I'm being in the city. The hype is real. I mean, the excitement is real. People are actually getting on board with Canadian football, which is so rare. And I don't think we've ever seen that in our lifetime. No. Like, never, we never have. Just an awesome time, though, right? Liam, I just want to touch on your point. You said that, you know, the attendance difference between the men and the women. But in comparing 2015 to now, also such a completely different time for women's football, too, right? Yes. I would love to have seen, you know, the celebration tour that the women did at the end of October in Ottawa and in Montreal. Um, Got a good crowd, but... It's also it was a kind of a weird time of the year, a few months removed from from Tokyo, obviously, which everyone kind of you know watched remotely at different times in the morning. There was a kind of a, a almost a disconnect with that tournament uh, in comparison to to 2012, I think, and and 2016, you could say as well. Um, although obviously people watched it, 4.4 million Canadians consumed that game on CBC, which is incredible. I would have loved to see them do a celebration tour in better circumstances, in in yeah. better weather. Right. And I think if they were able to have done that, let's say the end of August or early September in Edmonton, I think you'd we'd all be surprised. I, I think that it, that the turnout would have been would have been massive. And I hope that they get to do that in the near future. And then listening to you guys talk about how Edmonton's such a soccer hotbed. I wish that would translate to FC Edmonton mm-hmm. in the CPL. 100 you know? percent. Yeah, it's it so takes weird. time. It takes time. You got to build brand rep. And I think also, too, what might be funny with that franchise in the Canadian Premier League is that they were established as a lower division or you know uh, uh, it's kind of a smaller club i guess right that maybe people treat it as semi-professional and even though now it's pro and you can see a sellout stadium in victoria and they're playing in toronto they're playing at bmo and all these kind of big venues spruce meadows in calgary looks amazing i really mm-hmm. want to get there and see calgary oh, play yeah. but maybe there's this feeling in edmonton and you guys would know better than me that they're still semi-pro you know almost amateurish and hopefully over time and with some success which they haven't had maybe that'll turn around yeah, they definitely need to have the on-the-field impact to get the off-the-field impact, I feel. But, uh, but yeah, it, it is sad. I mean, I think Edmonton sports is relatively well-supported. Different sports, hockey, football, You're soccer, wrong, whatever. basketball, the Edmonton yeah. energy, I think. It- I mean, you go back. No, the Stingers. Stingers, stingers Oh, Stingers. Jeez, I'm bad. Yeah, what defunct league are you thinking about? I don't know, but I know they get. I know they get support. So, bro, the the stingers. I know one of the assistant coaches on the team, and he said oh, that yeah. they, he loves it. The vibe there is, in, yeah, is, uh, incredible. Sports is well, well supported, and and you're right. FC Edmonton's that one little asterisk of 
why do they not get the support? Why do they not sell out their stadium? And it's, I think it is on the field. People, like I said, people don't view them as full professionals. Maybe view them as very Sunday league in a sense. And, and until that perception changes, which hopefully these Canada matches can help get new football fans and get people going to those stadiums. And everything. That. I, I hope, you know, if people can be sold on the atmosphere of a in-person football match, maybe say, Hey, let's give FCM to a shot. I hope so too, man. And it's, it's funny, right? And certain markets, it just doesn't catch like that. Like York United are the smallest market team, you know, in the Canadian Premier League, mm-hmm. I, I would say. Uh, I don't have actual factual proof for that, but just based on attendance, um, that seems to be the case, which is also the case for the Toronto Argonauts in the mm-hmm. CFL, right? Toronto being the largest city, uh, obviously massive supporters of the Leafs, the Blue Jays and the Raptors, and it doesn't trickle down to the, the two football teams. And yeah. so I'm interested to see what this new CPL team in Vancouver yeah. will be like. Because yeah. um, I think a lot of people were surprised to see it not be Quebec or Saskatchewan and to see the same ownership group with Pacific involved. Like that, that'll be interesting. Um, it's, it's the same group that, that owns uh, Pacific FC. So I'm not sure how that's going to work off the start. But at the same time, hey, just having more opportunity and, and you know, another professional environment for players yeah. um, in terms of growing the game, that, that is super positive. So I, I feel like we can cross that bridge later. True. And I don't think that's, that's a bad thing considering Pacific FC have had a pretty good start to the Canadian Premier League. They've got they've built a pretty good reputation. So with that same ownership, maybe it'll be a good thing as well for the league. Yeah. I, I, that you, you've got that corporate head on now that you're working with the, uh, with the, with the, with the nation there. You've got that, <laughs> yeah. that corporate vision, corporate lens. But I agree with you, man. I think that's I think that's how the league must have seen as well, too, that, you know, there's a couple of other interested groups that wanted to get in and some smaller markets, too, that are really hot and pushing David Klanick. And he was saying uh, Julian de Guzman is involved in Barrie. Um, they've just launched a League One team in Barrie, Ontario and uh, in Peterborough, Ontario as well. Electric City. Uh, they're eager. They, they would love to grow to that level. So um, they're they're doing it in League One now. And I think that, you know, Klanick could, could see a proven track record with the uh, ownership group in the Pacific and a great opportunity in Vancouver. So. Actually, um, something I want to ask you, um, something that doesn't really get covered a lot in Canada, I guess, is the lower leagues throughout the country, you know, the kind of the Sunday semi-professional leagues. In Ontario, there's quite a good league. I know in Quebec, they have a pretty good league. Can you touch upon that at all, like any of these little leagues? Yeah, a little bit. So this League One Ontario, before the Canadian Premier League, a lot of guys who uh, you saw drafted or make a real impact in that 2019 season had been playing in League One Ontario. And basically... And I, I can't speak to Quebec or, or Western Canada, my apologies, but basically League One Ontario, a lot of these um, players are made up of guys who had played in MLS Academy systems and, you know, never made the senior team, maybe played to the end, maybe played to 18-19 and, you know, didn't get that TFC2 pro contract and that they uh, still want to kick on and play or they'd gone to NCAA maybe an injury or a shortened career. And it was just an opportunity to play at a 70 semi pro level and, you know, get some exposure and attention. So Dylan Carrero was uh, the star of the MVP in that league, I think in 2018 or the season before the CPL started and one of the top picks for, for Valor. Um, He's, he's now retired now. So it's, it was another opportunity for guys to have a chance to, to kick on if, if they couldn't catch on in Europe, I guess. And uh, now with the CPL, you've got a bigger spotlight and a, a better situation for these guys to develop. Well, somebody who did catch on kind of out of nowhere and is now on this national team is Jonathan David, who didn't yeah. play MLS, didn't play, well, CPL wasn't a thing, but he played for, uh, I, it, was, it wasn't like a youth team of his, was it? I don't remember exactly what type of program it was for him, but it was some, just a team in Austria. Uh, you just broke up at the end there. Did you say in Austria? 
In Austria, no, sorry, in Ottawa. Ottawa. Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was my understanding. I thought, I'm like, oh, did I miss a blip on his resume? Uh, yeah. Austria, oh, okay. Couple that's... months, couple months, Austria. Austria, yeah. Austria, Belgium, I guess that's how he ended up there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, we didn't speak specifically to the Academy, but we had John Herdman on the, on Footy Prime this week, and it was amazing 40 minutes with him. He was, he was so candid. We spoke about a lot of things that I've heard him talk about before, transitioning, you know, um, to, to the from the women's job to the men's job, the women winning the gold, what that was like. And all of these things we spoke about, he spoke about in completely different ways and said things I'd never heard before. So um, that wasn't so much to be a plug about that as much to say that we did speak about Jonathan Davis. I watched the interview. It was honestly, it was a fantastic interview. Really yeah, good. He, he was great. He's, he's such a great speaker. We're so he's lucky to have him in this country, yeah. honestly. The, the impact that he's had on the women's program, you know, the, there was a lot of that um, nostalgia and feeling of like, this was a, a long project when the women won gold, that this wasn't just, you know, one tournament. And you know, he had a lot to do with that and in, in, in building an infrastructure and a program that could get to that point. So, um, it was incredible to see the women win that, but back to the Jonathan David point, he was just talking about how they ranked the players when they first came in, you know, tier one, tier two, tier three players based on where they played. And at the time, Jonathan David wasn't starring at Genk and he was referred to, he referred to him as a tier one Academy player that he was in a tier one Academy. So to put him in a level that, you know, Canada has had the players. And this is the thing he justified in the interview. He said when they looked at it all, Canada has always had the players, but just never got over the line. They were top five in CONCACAF, you know, for much of the last two decades. And he's, he, they looked at the last five World Cup qualifying cycles to really dissect, like, why didn't this happen? And it's not on the players. It's on, there's a lot of other factors to it. So I thought that was really exciting and interesting to hear him break it down like that. Bring up Herdman because I was listening to ESPN FC. Um, and they were talking about the Mexico-U.S. matchup coming up in Cincinnati. Yeah. They're, they're going, they have to, uh, speaking of the, uh, in regards to the American team, they go, they have to employ the Hurtman, your tactics, the Canada tactics. Oh. I, I kind of, I was doing homework at the time, and I kind of sat back and went, yeah, it, it, the Americans talk about Canada. They're, you know? yeah. they're putting us on a pedestal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. ooh, you know, they use them as a, as a verb. Do they have yeah. to play yeah. the herdman? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a valid point. I mean, the play style that he has put into this team, Canada, is not only exciting and good football, but it's actually the perfect football for the players he has at his disposal. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has a young, quick attacking side, and he's attacking. He's going forward. He's pushing. He's not gonna sit back and, and, and try to soak up 90 minutes of pressure. That's not what that team is, is there to do. They're, they're going to score goals. They're going to they're gonna make chances. They're going to press. That's what the style they should be doing. And it, it looks clean and simple on paper of why this not been tactics for years now. But like you said, the reason that Canada has not qualified or at least challenged for qualification, maybe not down to the players, but it's everything around the players. It's coaching, it's the setup, it's the academies, it's infrastructure of team canada was not the right infrastructure today it looks like they're on the right path to maybe not qualification but at least putting their name in the hat for it uh last name drop uh, we had jonathan osorio on footy prime this Ooh. week as well and he had said the same thing that um you know it, the difference between his early days with the canadian program and now night and day absolutely night and day that the professionalization of the international program that has happened under John Herdman yeah. has really elevated to this level where you can integrate these star players and attract and pull in or, or yeah, rapidly integrate, you know, players who are, are doing it and kicking on and hadn't been involved in the program like Ike Ugbo, who was you know, playing in the Europa League. He got on against West Ham for Genk, 
It's Genk, right? I, I was. Yeah. I feel like I have. To, it's a memory trick. I gotta associate the player with Genk. I do or that Genk. too. I literally yeah, did because like, I'm gonna go on flip street. it up, right? Yeah. And like one, one should be like yellow and or red, and one should be blue. They should not <laughs> both be allowed to have blue. <laughs> yeah. Who yeah. came up with that? <clears throat> right? So, I can just imagine there's a bunch of Belgians sitting around with wonderful, expensive beer with fruity <laughs> flavors in it, and they're just like, "Hey, people confuse the two. What a bunch of idiots internationally. Yeah. They're, they're so different." <laughs> I feel the exact same way. I did that on stream and people were like, it's gank. It's Genk. They're two different things. I'm like, I had it this morning. I swear. See, this is the beauty, man, of like, we've been doing the podcast without the live uh, commenting. Oh, so we, yeah. we're, we're removed from the immediate corrections. And then mm -hmm. some, someone will Google it and be like, no, you said this, you idiot. A few minutes later and take us off the rails. But yeah, <laughs> it's, it's something else when they go out. I mean, to just plain simple easy question for you canada's two matches at commonwealth stadium yeah how many points do they get out of those two games uh you did ask me this off the start i'm sorry i didn't I answer that um i think that i think it's man it's possible that they could get come away with six which is wow. wild you know wow. it's it's wild i realistically i think four would be fantastic and four is probably more realistic right i, I mean what I like about this two-game setup, and I like that in this window, they're only playing two games instead of three. They have a bit more time to work with each other. It is two more full training sessions or, or two full more days in kind of their camp to just try so, things, um, which I think is great. So, sorry, Ben. I was going to bring up something. I was yeah, looking please. at the uh, the weather for coming up here for Canada against Mexico. On Monday in Edmonton, there is a 70% chance of snow, 60% 60 60 chance of snow on Tuesday. There yes. will be snow. Yeah. There will be snow. So does that mean it'll be warmer then? Because when I would look at the forecast last night, I think it was minus nine they were projecting. But no, it wouldn't for, snow if it was that tomorrow, cold. tomorrow, it's going to be like plus five, minus four with the wind, wind chill. So um, Tuesday will be chilly. It's gonna be chilly. Yeah, that that, that that Mexico game is definitely gonna be the Mexico game is gonna be the more the the weather test, which you never know. That might play into the Canadians' hands versus Mexico. It might just derail the football they want to play. I mean, will 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 Canada be able to 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 press and play attacking football when there's snow on the ground? I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's a question mark for both nations. I mean, just because you're born in Canada doesn't mean your football is gonna do well on a frozen plastic. Question tournament. for you. Do you still have that ghost pepper sauce? Because we might need it. We might need it. <laughs> the the warm-up a bit. So I saw that. I saw that clip. Did it did it give you the full body oh, warming sensation? I felt that for like two days. I gotta be honest really? with you. My stomach was like on fire for two days. It so, was no I'm sorry. It's okay. But though. to go back to Canada, I was gonna ask you, um, uh, Brendan. Jonathan David, we've seen him have success uh, with in Liga and with Lille recently. How can Canada get the most out of him right now? Because it seems like he hasn't brought that to the Canada, uh, international level right now. Yeah, in this in this window, he definitely in this qualifying cycle here in the Oct, he definitely hasn't played to his level. Mm -hmm. I think he's left a quite a few fans a little disappointed. And in that last game against Panama, um, you can see he was almost a bit snake bitten, right? It seems like maybe a lack of confidence or in his own head. Um, but the team's definitely around him. We know that the the quality and the ability is there. And you look at him at Lille actually, and I think that there's it's interesting the parallel that if you look at this octagon as a brand new cycle for Canada because he performed in the lead up to this, he scored mm. boatloads and. I can't remember it's Suriname or there was he was on the score sheet in that lead up to this octagon final stage. But when he first went to Lille, he didn't score for 10 games. Yeah. And he still kept getting on the team sheet and he he still was getting chances. He was playing at least an hour. 
And I had thought come probably this time of the year, November, you know, maybe he just finally started to score. I thought, you know what? He might go out and loan in January. Like maybe, maybe it was a move to a move too big, a move too soon. And he ends up being the second leading scorer. He's the leading scorer in Liga now. I think it just takes a minute. And obviously international football is, is totally different because yeah. it's, you have these interruptions. You do have different pieces changing. Um, having Laren back, having Atiba back, just as far as the camp goes, I think that, normalizes the situation a little bit and i think this should be a different camp from for uh jonathan david i think we'll see we'll see more like himself because he's playing at that level for club and for country now it resembles more of a the complete package uh, unlike this last window we've talked a little bit about jonathan david and alfonso davies is the obvious one that uh, everyone is talking about but he's so good man god i love him right like aren't you just so happy he's canadian I watched him play for Vancouver. He played, it was one of the final matches for Vancouver, and he was very fun to watch, very exciting. But I think the player he is today is completely. I mean, I watched him there, and I I never would have said that that man's going to go to Bayern Munich and become arguably the best left back in the world. He was great, he was pacey, he was exciting, but he wasn't the next great kind of thing. I'm now going to go see him tomorrow, less than 24 hours. A player that that realistically is in that conversation for best in the world in his, which is shocking to me. Kind of thing. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. I didn't want to derail you there, Brett. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we'll get more on, on Fonzie, I'm sure, but I want to talk about Tayshawn Buchanan. That's what I'm just thinking about right now. Last, oh, the last Revolution game. Uh, they played. I said LAFC last time. I was wrong. It was. Uh, Inter Miami, that's who they played. They played Inter Miami. And the way that he influenced matches, not only by just being in the right position and, and you know, playing good football, but he got under people's skin. He was yeah. all mm-hmm. over the place. He's tracking defensively. He just makes great plays and makes a, a great influence on the game that I don't think a lot of people really – expect and a lot of people really don't uh yeah totally yeah well it's almost hard to quantify because you don't see it that often right like a winger an attacking player aren't very few are able to be as involved defensively and track you know across the pitch the way Fonzie and Tejan can do and if that's the new standard now it's it's almost (laughs) as if like you know has Tejan adapted his game to model Fonzie a little bit Mm -hmm. because especially when Fonzie plays for the national team he's whether he's actually starting as forward or starting at left back he's going to be heavily involved in the other side more so than most people and i would describe tejan that the same there's another stats thing man i would love to see the miles these guys are running show me the gps of that that should be mandatory you don't have to it doesn't have to be for everybody but can we find some type put it on like behind a paywall i would love (laughs) to see what those miles are for just a few guys you know i think we can we csa work something out here to to make that available for us. Um, you look at Tejan though, man, as you say, like <laughs> being involved in this uh, national program and now being such like a key piece and a key weapon. Time has been totally turned on its head with the pandemic, right? Sometimes March 2020 feels like a couple of months ago. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like 10 years ago. Tejan wasn't even involved in the, the qualifying campaign, right? He was on that the Olympic qualifying team and he wasn't in whatever that cycle was when the men's senior team was playing. He was He was with the Olympic team. And now he's like first on the team sheet with the men's team just in this pandemic stretch. And with all the other weapons and all the other talent we have, like 
man, it's it's super exciting. So uh, let's go back to Belgium uh, because he'll be at Bruges next season. Those fans have got a special player, yeah. and uh, and the revolution, you know, witnessed uh, a special player and and may may win MLS Cup with him, man. I, I think uh, it's yeah. amazing that 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 worked out for both player and and club that he's able to stick around for the rest of this MLS Cup run. And I wouldn't bet against them right now, man, because of him. I think that's an exciting move for him to move. I mean, it's actually an established club, good track history of young talent. I, I, th- I think that's a club that he can really push on. In in five years or so, we might be looking at Tejon Buchanan at top of football's leagues kind of thing. You never know. I mean, I, I think I think that's a really good, perfect move for him right now in his career. I do too, man. I think it's great too. It shows awareness of guys like him and Jonathan David to pick those situations because both of them had been presented with loads. They had lots to choose from, much bigger clubs. You know, don't know specifically, but there was Premier League clubs kicking around for for both of them, and they chose situations where they thought they could develop uh, best and and you know suit in best. It's not to say stepping stone, but obviously that's how they're looking at things. How do I continue to progress? And both, I think, have chosen situations mm-hmm. that seem to be ideal for for that for developing and getting better now i think a player sorry brad go ahead no no i was gonna say there's a player on canada's team that i think deserves a lot of praise he's been very under under the radar i find is uh stecchio i, I don't know how you oh, fully yeah. pronounce that but i love New close. Yeah, yeah you got it he's i don't know he's such a he does everything you want out of a midfielder um i mean he, he's, he has a portuguese background doesn't he yeah, he is Portuguese. So he uh, he, he was actually he could have been involved in the Portuguese program, uh, and I believe he was at youth level. Actually, yeah. if you got his page up, um, he's from Leamington, Ontario, which is the southernmost point in this country, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, not too far away from where I grew up in Windsor. But he went to Portugal, went back to Portugal. I believe he's born in, in Leamington and went back to Portugal, the age nine or ten, yeah. and has, has played you know in a professional setup since he was a uh, since he was a boy. Um, so he's at Passos de Ferreira. Or uh, and Stephen uh, Stephen Estacio is the uh, the anglicized version of his name, but he's man he he's such a great player like uh, and such a fun player to watch like I'm with you there just watching his evolution too in the system you know a couple of years ago I, I saw him do an event with Christian Jack when he'd first committed so this was been end of 2018 I think and thought oh, okay like exciting like he might kick on but like eh, we'll see and now it's like. Also, the Tejon effect, like this guy's got to be in the team, and you know you're getting, mm-hmm. like, you know you're getting a real fight, and uh, and for a man who's not particularly large in in size, man, is he a massive player on the field? You well, know? Of course, facilitates too. Like he, uh, kind of like uh, you mentioned Buchanan in, in that way, but just he facilitates from back there and yeah. just forces balls and just things that you don't really expect, and he's another one of those underrated talents that I think can really grow in the next underrated five years. Young talent. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. most exciting part is this. this is such a young team. And this is really the first major trophy or major competition that they're really challenging for. Canada is going to be hosting this world cup in four more years. What is this starting 11 going to look like? What's the, what's the, the, the depth going to look like? It really Canada could be going into that world cup with an actual squad yeah. of, of world-class players. I mean, they're littered around right now. Yeah, man. With a few players that are on a fifth pro, you know, best 11 at the end of a season, right? That That's wild. Um, yeah. I, I, I've said it often you know, this year, this summer with, there was, I think, six men's champions and f- at least four women's champions in this past season. And it wasn't that long ago, man. We, as Canadian fans, used to just be excited to have players in leagues like Turkey mm-hmm. and France yeah. and Germany, right? And now, like, they're winning these leagues. You know, and on the women's side too, like that—that is—that is amazing. So 
Yeah, man, I, I'm very excited about 2026. There are a few players, obviously, that won't be involved in that that have been, uh, you know, legends. And we talk about, you know, trailblazers and carrying the flag like Atiba Hutchinson. Like, I really mm -hmm. want them to make Qatar in general. But mm -hmm. making qualifying for Qatar is like doing it for Atiba. Exactly. You know? And I, I, I think that uh, while no one's particularly said this in the squad, I, I know the respect level is there and the appreciation for all that Atiba has done. And he, he talk about underrated or underappreciated. This is a guy that does not get the love in this country that he deserves. Mm -hmm. Having ca oh, captain the Champions League, having uh, having played in you know uh, one one domestic titles in Europe, playing in two big leagues in Denmark and in Turkey his entire career, and most people don't even know who he is, mm -hmm. and he's doing it like Brady and LeBron and Ronaldo into his late 30s and he's yep. looks better and fitter than ever <laughs> right? well that, that was kind of where i wanted to go to you mentioned atiba we do have uh, we do have contrast to the younger players we do have a little bit of uh experience and yeah. you talked to jonathan osorio recently uh he's a veteran now yeah, and I remember him with his uh, curled up hair, gelled up hair, cutting through the midfield. And I'm like, this kid's cool. Yeah, this kid's cool. <laughs> like, he's, got, he's got good vibes to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but but we do have that uh, experience there as well to kind of contrast that that youthful exuberance almost. Yeah, totally. I, I think that um, you know. I think I hope Azorio is able to be involved in 2026. Um, he's uh, committed a lot to the program, done a lot for the club level, and uh, has had big success at country level too. I'm I'm really glad that he was able to score at the Azteca again. It's kind of like his thing. So yeah, man, 2026. There's be a lot of the that core that we're raving about now being young. You know, they're going to be. Uh, even better, which is which is yeah, scary if you're other Concacaf nations, right? And also, I always keep hearing about it's like these young. Uh, Canadian talents and smaller leagues coming through and it seems like we always have a young super talent coming on out like every year almost like France but not to the extent but it's just it's just nice to know that Canada has talent coming through all the time isn't it great uh, to be on that cycle man oh yeah like ev everything is cyclical right and you look at golden generations uh everyone has it right especially in CONCACAF Jamaica had theirs and Trinidad mm -hmm. Honduras had theirs um there's another country I'm thinking of, I guess you can say Panama in this last qualification, kind of that. But Canada, I think in, in if they qualify for 2022 and then with hosting the World Cup, I think they will establish themselves as an expected group to qualify and not be considered like that. Well, you know, it's a rotating spot of golden generations, that last qualifying spot. That's exciting. Yeah, truly. All right, let's gush about Fonzie now. Let's, sure. Well, I think I think I cut Waz off. Waz was going to say something. Oh, sorry. Waz. No, no, we're good. We're good. No, we're fine. Too excited about Let's gush about Waz, Fonzie. I have oh, to. He's, take... he's getting real excited yeah. here. Oh, my you're, God. you're taking your hoodie off. Oh, well, he's got something for it. Oh, he's got. Okay. Oh, yeah. Let's be honest here, Alfonso Davies. What he's done for the Canadian football culture has been the biggest impact I think a camp. I I. I I don't think there's ever been an impact on Canadian sports, uh, Canadian football. Let's not go too far ahead of ourselves, but Canadian football or the Fonzie has. I mean, he's completely just got the attention of a nation and really excited young players and, and fans of the game to just actually want to watch, to tune in, to follow, to, to listen. It's that goal that he scored against Panama in itself. It not only in unbelievable for the scope of Canada, mm -hmm. but if you were to put that in the Champions League, 
Bundesliga and yeah. the Premier League anywhere in the world that is a top highlight. It is it's insane. And he and he's from Edmonton. Edmontonian, proud Edmontonian. It's weird. It is weird. To be honest, I saw a picture of him yesterday holding the Champions League trophy with the Canadian flag around it. I was like, yeah, that happened. You know that that did happen. That that, that kid that used to play on a field that me and Waz played on last night. The Edmonton Strikers. He was there. You yeah. know, it's just, it, it's weird. It's weird to think about. It's exciting, man. I mean, when in that that final, I watched it with James Sharman, and we were working at One Soccer that day, and I felt like I was watching a family member play. Like oh I yeah. Was at, I had those nerves, like which which I never have. I like nerves that I've rarely had watching Villa play, or or maybe Portugal. I would say, but I, I didn't expect that. And I watched the whole game every time you know he was there, and he got that early yellow. I felt like I was biting my nails. I couldn't sit comfortably <laughs> after that. And to see him, you know, to see him win and to to bust out the Canadian flag right away and say in his interview post match, like, "Hey, man, I'm just a kid from Edmonton." Like, I I love that. So I, I really hope that he's able to have um, a great you know uh, run here in Edmonton in these two games on the pitch, but that he's also able to like soak it in and really like live in the moment. And he strikes me as the type of player that in person that can do that and oh, is yeah. you know, very humble feet on the ground. His quote he had uh, in the meeting that they had when. when- Team Canada asked his players, which of these games can we win? He stood up and said, well, we're going to win all of them. Like, no, not a second of doubt. It was, no, we're not here just to, to be a number. We're not here just to take part. We're here to win. We're here to give them one hell of a game. And I think for such a young player, the confidence and the leadership abilities he has for the starting 11, for the, for the whole squad, is arguably his biggest asset. Yeah, totally. I mean, when you start to cut, when you play for Bayern Munich, you need that mentality as well. And he's bringing that to the Canadian national team. Of course, they're they're benefiting from that. The national program is benefiting from that hugely. You know, you mm-hmm. see such an an, an elevation. Um, the last training session that I saw would have been 2019, I guess. They played the states in that Nations League duo. So I saw them in Toronto. I saw them in Orlando, and I'd seen them previously over the years. And media was only allowed a very small bit of training and oftentimes nothing's really happening and that's on purpose they don't really want to let you see kind of what they're working on or you know plot any schemes and and so i'm looking at head tennis i'm looking at sprints and you could just from that alone in the 15 20 minutes that i was allowed to see what an evolution in uh intensity or in and in quality that just you know it wasn't a kick about anymore it, I, I remember asking, like, oh, is this the 20 minutes we're allowed to be here? Like, they're giving it. Like, they're clearly in it. And it's this evolution that's ha- happened because this is now the standard that Fonzie expects because of, you know, that's that's what he lives each and every day. And Jonathan David and, the, uh, you know, Atiba and other players that have, have been able to bring that to the, to the team, that those training sessions now are not just to kick about and hanging out with your friends and hoping to, you know, contend and hoping for a good game. They expect to win these games. They went to Azteca and were disappointed with a draw. Yeah. How effing amazing is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? And think about think about us gushing. We're adults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Think about the kids who are going to be seeing what he's done and go out onto the field afterwards out at, at school and just go, I'm going to Davies mm-hmm. and do this and do that. The growth of that. Like, could you imagine? We had that when we hang in we elementary. Had Wayne Rooney, yeah. Not, <laughs> yeah. some bald Shrek man living in Manchester. <laughs> that was the kid from from down the road, kind of thing. Yeah. It, it is. It's a hell of a, of a of a change of the footballing culture that we are seeing in front of our eyes, kind of thing. It's, uh, 
It's awesome, man. And I, I think about that a lot too, like the impact you know that it has. And uh, I was uh, long before you guys were born. Uh, the World Cup was in America in '94, and I was a child. That was my first like kind of intro to well, big time soccer. I, I think I might have already been playing it, you know, Tim Bits or whatever that age five is. But mm -hmm. it was um, there wasn't a lot of soccer on TV at that time, right? And I grew up in Windsor, which was which was basically suburban Detroit, and so it, it was like a local World Cup. And it was it was the biggest thing around, man. Everybody was going. Oh, there was games and access like everywhere to things. And it was it had such a big impact on soccer in America. And you can see that and this, the evolution that is, you know, American soccer now. And it, it has its own kind of distinct identity that we're still building in Canada. And a World Cup will accelerate that and cement that. And it, yeah. we all thought hosting it would do it. But it's the buildup into hosting it that I think matters even more. I think in Southern Ontario, you have a bit of the, you know, you have those immigrants from, from Portugal, from Italy, from, from European nations that all live in Southern Ontario. And the footballing culture is there, just not there for Canada. You know, people will support the, the nations that their families have come from. Now we're seeing people are growing up as Canadian supporters and, and really pushing that they are Canada fans. And that's a change I don't think we have yet seen football the timing and access thing man like i talk about the, the states that was my access to international soccer because canada wasn't on tv canada wasn't playing those level of qualifying matches but i could see every u.s national team game on abc on the weekends and those players eddie pope and um um kobe jones you know uh i guess lawless would have been kind of at the tail end of that time but tony miola those those guys were massive Th those guys were key soccer figures giants right for anyone that played soccer with me or anyone that was into soccer and it's like it's it's funny to say that my access or intro into international soccer was the u.s team because portugal was irrelevant portugal weren't in tournaments portugal weren't qualifying i didn't have that until euro 2000 so i think for a lot of canadians who would who would have loved that experience first it just the timing just an access wasn't there for that so now that's changing now these games are accessible, whether it's OTT on one soccer, whether, you know, for this qualifying cycle, you can see them on Sportsnet. I really hope in the future that it's nationally accessible. You know, it, it, I think mm -hmm. it, it will, for the World Cup, I think it will be uh, on CTV. They'll put all those Canada games accessible on CTV. That's how you grow and, and get people into it. And, and you're right that you can still, you know, have a, an intro to the game or a love for your heritage. But now we can share a great thing in Canada. And, and it's really cool to see people realize that and, and get in on this now. I used to work at a Jersey store. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to name drop them, but it may, <laughs> may be a certain town in uh, New Jersey. Anyways, um, <laughs> but I, I was in there the other day and, and one of my uh, old assistant managers goes, if I have one more person coming in there, because they don't, they don't have soccer jerseys yeah. in the in this store that I'm not going to name. Uh, they go, if one more person comes in and asks for an Alfonso Davies jersey, I, I just don't know because yeah. today I've had 13 and it, it wasn't even noon yet. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> wow. You know, a, guy, a guy I work with, he had to pay damn near double to get a Canada Alfonso Davies jersey to get it shipped in time for that, that first game because demand was so high. He went, he went to the, the store and said, I'll pay whatever you want put one on hold for me as soon as you get it in. And he, he got it for the, like I said, double the price. Wow. See, home. I'm going to be a little different. I'm going to be wearing my Team Canada hockey jersey to the game. I'm going to be oh, that yeah. guy. You're going to be that guy, yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> Good for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know what? I like that, man. That's that's cool. And I saw that in Toronto. I, I, I posted that on the Footy Prime account, actually, when I, I was walking in for 
I think it was the Panama game. And uh, as I was entering like the gate, two guys in front of me, they looked like hockey bros. They looked like dudes that had just, they'd spent the last <laughs> few months at the cottage. Like, Oh yeah. Did you watch that gold cup, bro? We were streaming it at the lake, buddy. It was great. <laughs> uh, they looked like those dudes. They were wearing slides like, it, and, and these hockey jerseys. And I was like, this is great. Yeah, Whether, you know, and I shouldn't judge them based on their appearance. I did hear them speak and they did talk like that. Yeah. Real cottage bros. But, yeah. uh, you know, I shouldn't assume that they're new soccer fans or whatever. But I just I just love that everyone is on board, that this is a Canadian thing now. Yeah. It, sorry, Liam, did you say that's an Alberta voice? That, that, that's just, that's Berta boys right there. Yeah, you, you said cottage, cottage. Your, your cottage life where you are not that at all. Here. <laughs> now, if anyone else has anything they want to talk about Canada a bit more, we definitely can. But I do want to get on to the Premier League and Aston Villa because it's been an incredible, I'm going to say, 16 months for you as a Villa supporter from the eyes of, of last season, Jack Grealish, to drag Jack Grealish leaving. <laughs> and, and now today, it's you have a new manager today. Are you excited? Yeah, I am excited, man. I think that, you know, Steven Gerrard was always going to get a chance in the in the Premier League um, before he was uh, as gray as I am, that you guys quickly pointed out, the grays on the side of my uh, head. That was you. That was all you. I said Silver Fox. <laughs> <laughs> it was complimentary, yes. It was complimentary. Yeah. As much as I'm trying to look like Sergio Ramos with the pullback, uh, the grays are still visible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. I think that uh, it's, you know, we all expect Steven Gerrard to get that Liverpool job, and he will. Uh, but I think it's it's great that he's been able to have success in Scotland. Sorry, Liam. Um, but at a big club with a lot of pressure and expectation. And he's coming to a team in the Premier League that also has that. Not the expectation to beat their most hated rival because Villa is so much better than Birmingham. Uh, and they're not contending for a title together. But Villa are a big club. And I think it's a, it's a, it's great for him to have this experience in perhaps one day being the Liverpool manager, but also for Villa to have a connection with these players that older managers just didn't. And I think, you know, this is not a slate of Dean Smith at all because I think he really did connect with that room and elevated the games of and the quality of a lot of players. And mm -hmm. you look at how heartbroken the fan base is to see Dean Smith go. Uh, and it's not because they lost five in a row. It's the way in which they lost five in a row. But there's factors to that. Grealish, Jack Grealish leaving, the players that they've brought in, spent a lot of money to bring in, and who have quality, Buendia and uh, and uh, Leon Bailey, they haven't been able to play on the pitch. They're trying to play, integrate two, you know, coveted strikers in Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings, and maybe, you know, that system of having two number nines up top, that just doesn't work anymore. And so I'm excited to see what Steven Gerrard will bring in the room to a group that will look at him differently than some of these older guys that have been in that seat before. And I think you see that a lot, that that bounce with these younger managers, that there's an immediate player-manager connection that didn't exist with an older generation of established, more established guys. So I think it's a good situation for Steven Gerrard. It's a bit of a risk for Villa, but it's the right time to take said risk because the benefit and the upside, if he can be there for four seasons, like now you're you would expect they're kicking on and challenging for Europe. And at the end of that tenure, expecting to be in a European place, right? Taking my bias out of it. He has done a great job in, in Scotland. He has done a fantastic job to to revitalize that squad. The team he took over was aging. It was poor. It was money. There, there was no money in range. And he did well to, 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 to change the over the team, get the players in that he needs. A lot of young talent at that range team. And I, I'm sure one or two of them will make their way to Villa. I mean, 
Ryan Ryan Kent at Villa could be happening in the near future if I if, I, if I'm honest. But um, no, I think he's done a great job in in Scotland, and I think you are getting a good manager. Just is it too soon in his managerial career? I'm not too sure about that. We'll we'll wait and see. The Villa job like is a big job, and I think there's a lot of pressure on it right now that that team finishes preferably in top ten this season. You spent money. Is he the guy to turn this around? I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say he can turn around Villa. He can be there for like say, three or four seasons. Jurgen Klopp goes, he goes to Liverpool, boom, boom, done deal kind of thing. <laughs> well, uh, He's written in the stars. You mentioned Leon Bailey, and I think... Had moments. Well, the influence that he moments. has when he is healthy is phenomenal. phenomenal. Like, it, 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 he really is a really good player. He's one of my favorite players when he is healthy. Is he a luxury player, though? Mm, yeah. Because I so? said I said moments too, right? Like I love what I think was 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 is probably the first one I heard say that moments FC. You described United <laughs> as moments FC. Oh yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah right. Definitely. And it's like that to, to me though. I said this, and so I forget who I said it to, and they're like, "What?" And I realized I'm like, "Oh, that's a." I think I took that from Was. That's a Was. <laughs> he's just like a moments guy, and I would love to be proven wrong. I think at Leverkusen he did have a track record for being, you know, a bit more consistent. Um, obviously he's had the, the injuries, so I, I really hope so, but I found myself scapegoating him in the last game where I was just a couple, a couple of poor decisions and lost balls. And I was just like, I was getting really mad specifically at him. Um, yeah. but it's, it's, you know, it, there's a lot of circumstances into why it hasn't started so well for Villa, but they are 11 games into the season and a top 10 finish is absolutely with, within reach as is relegation, which they're afraid of. So it's about, you know, getting it right. I think coming in now, um, you know, with a bit of time to kind of settle in some players that Gerard can work with, you know, on day one, mm-hmm. just get familiar with the grounds. And by the time the whole team returns, like, you know, he will be comfortable kind of in that space. So it, it's a, it's a good time for, for Gerard to settle in. Craig Forrest, Craig Forrest is not here. I was going to bring it up. West Ham's season is honestly, it, 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 it shouts Leicester 2015 to me. Really? I have that Leicester vibe with West Ham right now. Not the prettiest of players, but just getting the job done. There's excitement around the ground. Mikel Antonio is an absolute absolute god. (laughs) David Moyes is a great manager. David Moyes at United right now will be doing magic. You guys sacked him way too early. Didn't give him the time. Listen. (laughs) We want to talk about scapegoats. (laughs) But, um... No, I, I, West Ham, the, the stories of West Ham and Villa are so contradicting at the moment because Villa had the hype going into the season. West Ham, I think people thought they were going to have a bit more of a down year, maybe finish around that 10th spot, and it's just been complete opposite. And and West Ham are, are pushing now top four, which is wild. Yeah. It's West Ham. <laughs> like, and then and then Villa are, 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 are not relegation candidates in my mind. They are down there right now. Oh, they're they're struggling with the form. Five losses in a row. They're struggling to score the goals required. I I I, I when they signed Danny Ings, I thought that's a great signing. Proven Premier League goal scorer hasn't worked out yet. You know, maybe it is tactics. Maybe it is managerial. We'll see what what Jared can do with that score. The West Ham story is incredible, though. I don't know if it's quite the lesser feel. I mean, um, I don't know that they're going to be kicking on into March in, in the title conversation. But if they're kicking on at Christmas in the top four conversation, like how amazing yeah. is that? To be third in the Premier League at this international break in the middle of November. Yeah. That's unbelievable. 
West Ham fans would have, if you told them like your season ticket just went up three times, they would send it over Venmo, PayPal immediately, right? <laughs> they'd be all, they'd be all over that e-transfer, right? Just take my money. This team is, yeah. is amazing. This team is incredible. And you look at how they're fighting and, and you know, what they're experiencing. That is very much where Aston Villa want to be and and expect to be and you know maybe wrongfully for how things have gone the last few years but as a as a big club that was close to you know kicking on 10 years ago 12 years ago with martin o'neill there and and chasing that champions league spot or at least europe um that's where west ham's at west ham story i like that that's the title <laughs> of the the docuseries uh no i mean the Premier League, I think, has been so exciting so far this season. There's so many different storylines. Listen, United's storyline that can take four hours to break down. You look at Arsenal, that story. Brendan Rodgers yeah. right now, that story. Newcastle. United's next Newcastle. Like, there's so many different storylines. I think the I, Newcastle story is wild, man. It, it, like, just and, and who knows, you know, what January is going to be like. That that's I think going to be our first sign of like how wild is it? Yeah, right. <laughs> Could you imagine if they got relegated? <laughs> them in the championship with that money, but like they have to spend so big in January to survive relegation. Right. But the thing is, is Maybe. it just an absolute band-aid solution just to go and throw cash around? But it could work. You never know. If the team is superstars, see what happens. Toss them out there. We've seen that before in the Premier League. It hasn't worked out. <laughs> We throw back to QPR a couple handful of years ago, but uh, no, I mean, <laughs> my brother's a QPR fan actually. Uh, it was but before they before they got promoted to the Premier League. Um, so we're big F one guys. We grew we grew up watching Saturday morning qualifying sessions instead of Saturday morning cartoons. And uh, when Bernie Ecclestone and Flavio Briatore bought the team, he was intrigued by that. And we went on holiday, one of his his first uh, holidays at drinking age. Um, the owner of this bar in southern Portugal was a diehard QPR fan. He had the tattoos, the club tattoos. That they just got a new crest and he got a new one. So both forearms were covered. And my brother just thought, okay, I feel like this should be my team. And then they had some success and got promoted. So, yeah, we've got a – I'm a villain. My dad is a Plastic City fan. And my brother's QPR. <laughs> Well, it can't be. At least City's getting some wins. I can't. <laughs> Actually, I was going to bring one thing about United. I don't want to delve too much into it because it's a whole, you know, it's, it's painful. But it's yeah, painful. Kevin, Kevin De Bruyne, apparently he was on a podcast and he said this about the United game. The day before a game, we usually train tactically based on how the opponent play. Before United, Pep Guardiola said, we don't know how they're going to play. We shall see. And we stopped training after 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing, but it's so evident, right? Like yeah. no one knows how they're going to play. And uh, if you guys saw the the halftime show um, on on the DAZN feed, the Premier League production show was Skulls, Owen Hargraves, and Michael Owen, and they had all said some variation of like, no one knows how they're going to play. No. They don't know how they're going to play, and this is a problem when you've been in the same job for three yeah. seasons that you're always chopping and changing and panicking. That's it's like a lot of people ask me, like, are you all in or all in? Or, no, when they ask me, oh, do you think United's going to win this game? I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. don't know how they're going to play. Depends what that team that yeah. fear factor is gone, right? That yeah, fear no, factor definitely. of playing against them. I think on, on paper, you look at it every time and think, well, yeah, they should beat yeah. young boys. Yeah, they should, you know, beat Atlanta or be in this game for the majority and of the match. They had that honeymoon period at the start of the season where, you know, Ronaldo comes in and they smash Newcastle. They smash Leeds. Like, oh, things are great. And then it starts to derail itself. And then Ronaldo's the only one scoring. And you're like, whoa, whoa. And David De Gea is the only one making saves in the back line. Well, yeah. I was pretty sure it was you after that Leeds game going, yep, 
titles done. We've won the league. I was like, we're 14 minutes into this season. Can we relax? But uh, does anyone else have anything they want to talk about before we wrap this up? No. Disappointed that Craig Forrest wasn't here because I was going to try and recruit him for a Sunday league team. Because hey, Liam, 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 I've been trying to recruit him and Liam's, I haven't been able to, buddy. Liam's so. our keeper right now, and uh, it's it's not going well. Last time we lost nine sure. one. No. Let me, let me be honest. I have the most goals against in the league, but I also probably have the most saves in the league. I'm getting tested every two <laughs> seconds. Let me tell you, it's yeah. a hard job. Because who's on your back line? Was. Greg. <laughs> oh, was is it well, was I, and I Greg? Yes. And so, yeah, well, hey, hey, I, I, I was only minus one last night, okay? My analytics were good. Because you get tired after it. I, I, I do quick shifts. I do quick shifts, and the, and the other boys just take their time on the pitch. I'm like, okay. So, no, How big we, is the roster? What is your, comp, your roster composition here? It's you, six? Mm-mm. No, no, Brett's not in there, and either is Matt. They're not playing. Matt's Brett's got Brett's to work Wednesday night? I had I was the one that was editing the pot or the videos that's coming He's out the only afterwards. One yeah. at this point. <laughs> I'm no. with you, brother. I, I I know that feeling, man. I've we, we had in a, that spot a lot. We had a stinker the other night. We had two guys sent off. Oh, <laughs> wild! That always happens when I have like a threshold of Italians in my team. Like I'm always mistaken for being Italian, but there are some. Well, it's a minute left in the game. Italians or... in my team. It was a minute left in the game, and I don't know what happened. When our guy flipped off the other guy, and the ref sent him off. Oh wow. <laughs> Down nine one. Yeah, amazing. Shocker. And now, and now you've lost him for the next match. He's suspended. And, and we, we have another guy suspended too because he got sent off earlier in the game. It was a mess. You're gonna get an email from league admin like, "Can you please explain what happened? You violated the code of conduct. And the referee sent you up. I hate those emails." But this conversation was fantastic. We appreciate your time, Brennan. If you did enjoy this, leave a like and subscribe. Thank you for joining the 90th minute today. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.